All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City, and this is the last day of November, November 30th, 2021. do want to thank all of you for listening, making this show one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also like to Encourage you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors, making the show economically viable. They are Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and Firefox Gold. And we will be hearing some things about Lion One Metals in just a few minutes from now. I've titled today's show, The Need to Focus on Income-Producing Investments. Adam Taggart and Dr. Quentin Henning return as guests. Adam Taggart's background as an investment professional combined with a passion to help people, yes, believe it or not, investment bankers, some of them at least, do have a passion for helping people, and Adam is certainly one of those. He became, um, he, he really became concerned about a lack of education in our uh, in our school system to teach people how to deal with the real economy and how to uh, best invest their, their resources so that they can z- survive life's financial challenges along the way. And Lord knows we have a bunch of those heading our way the way it seems at this point in time. How prepared are people to face those? And Adam uh, saw some real needs there, and so he, uh, so he started this uh, wonderful service that, I, uh, that he'll be telling you more about when he's on with me. You, you've no doubt heard mainstream pundits talking about the need to educate people. Um, and certainly, we hear that on CNBC and various other mainstream uh, channels. But what they're really not talking about, what they're really talking about is the conventional wisdom. And what Adam is suggesting is that the conventional wisdom that is being fed to the masses is not what they need to hear because they are it's really based on Keynesian economics, which is leading, uh, the masses of people into poverty and servitude. So this is, uh, Adam uh, believes, as I do, uh, that we need to focus more on how the world really works rather than in terms of how, um, you know, how some ivory tower um, accommodations might think it should uh, it should work. And um, anyway, in drawing from his own observations and experience as an investment banker, uh, with a mainstream firm, Adam now sees where the financial pathology uh, that the left-leaning Keynesian economic policies are leading us. And so uh, he'll be talking to us uh, when he's on with us in the second half of today's show. Uh, he'll be talking to us about um, 
the the need to start thinking in terms of income producing investments. You know, we've had a period of time here when you've had uh, various uh, technology stories uh, in the pharmaceutical space as well as the IT space. Uh, lots of people have gotten very wealthy very quickly, uh, not necessarily with companies that are earning any money yet, but companies that have this story and these dreams of making lots of money in the future. Uh, and so what Adam is suggesting is that due to uh, factors that he will explain when we uh, talk to him in the second half of today's show, there's going to be a need for people to focus on value or on value stocks, on, on companies that actually can produce solid free cash flows and pay dividends to its holders. Um, and there, there are some of those out there now. There are a lot of those out there now, um, thanks to the fact that most investors are looking at uh, the get-rich-quick stories, uh, the sort of really exciting stories. Um, in looking at the kinds of companies that are out there, well, Adam will maybe provide us with some of those ideas, but one certainly uh, that comes to mind, and you could say it's self-serving, I suppose, but it really is factual. The gold mining companies, the silver mining companies are doing better than they almost than they ever have, at least in my lifetime. They have very clean balance sheets. They haven't gone out and spent a lot of money to buy uh, new projects uh, and spending way too much money as they have in past cycles. Uh, and they're making lots of money. In fact, it was the only sector in the S&P, the only non-financial sector in the S&P 500 that was showing uh, positive cash flows after taking into consideration inflation. Uh, so uh, gold mining and silver mining stocks, I think, are very much overlooked. Those are the producing companies that I'm talking about, but they are very rapidly running out of ore. And so those are the companies that are going to need to find new deposits. And there are certainly some out there. Dr. Quentin Henning uh, is involved with a number of stories that I follow on my newsletter. He talks about on this show. Uh, Companies, junior mining companies that are selling at very low market caps in most cases that are on to multi-million ounce gold deposits and very, very large silver deposits as well. Well, Dr. Henning will be with me right after the break, and we do need to go to break now, but he'll be with me to talk about Lion One Metals, which uh, just had some very nice announcements, uh, very nice gold assays that they announced today as part of their project, the Tuvatu project, uh, in Fiji, and a uh, very exciting story. Uh, Lion One Metals is certainly one of several that I'm watching that I think have the potential to become very major gold targets that are going to have to be pursued by these major gold mining companies uh, over the next year or so, a uh, couple of years into the future. The, I think the mergers and acquisition activity will become very dramatic uh, in the next few years, uh, but you do need to pay attention to these rising stories. Uh, and uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me uh, when we come back from the break uh, to talk about Lion One Metals. So we will go to break now, but don't go away because I'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. 
Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. Uh, I'm really happy to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is with me once again. This time uh, to talk about Lion One Metals. Quentin is a technical advisor of Lion One, uh, which continues to report some very high-grade gold intercepts at its Tuvatu gold project in the Fiji. Um, and uh, they put out some good news this morning, in fact, and uh, we'll ask Dr. Henning about that in just a moment. I, before I say hello to him, I'd like to... Just uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the with the story, Lion One Metals trades uh, under the symbol LIO, L-O-M-L-F in the U.S., 156.4 million shares, a dollar four in Canadian money earlier today when I looked at it. That gives it a market cap around $162 million in Canadian money or call it 126 in U.S. dollars. Um, and it's, the company's pretty well funded, I think, with uh, last I saw something like $55 million in working capital. So it's a story that I think, um, well, for reasons I think you'll be uh, in agreement with after you hear what Quentin has to say. Uh, thanks for joining me, Quentin. It's really, really good to have you on again. Always a pleasure, Dave. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I wonder, the, the Lion One story, maybe for those who might not be familiar, and I think a lot of our listeners are because it's been here for, with us for a while, but... Uh, it, it talked to us a little bit about the history of this company, and you know it was ready. It was moving towards production with a very high grade, relatively low, uh, you know, not a large, less than a million ounces, and it was moving towards production. Uh, but talk to us about how it's evolved into something that looks like it could be quite a bit bigger than initially envisioned. Absolutely, that's a good, actually, a very good place to start the whole story. Um, so if you look at Line One, uh, they acquired Tuvatu as part of. Uh, transaction. This is going way back when, uh, you know, effectively Wally Berkoff bought the Emperor Mine land holdings. Emperor Mine was a company that uh, held the Vaticola deposit, which is nearby, but also held this uh, land position at Tuvatu. So, uh, in buying the the company, Emperor Mines, he he took control of Tuvatu, and and it was around Tuvatu that Lion One was. Uh, really built. I mean, this is the core asset for the company. Uh, Emperor Mines had done some work on the property, w- dating way back to the 
1980s and 90s. Uh, in fact, they even put a decline down. Uh, they did quite a bit of drilling. And, uh, you know, it, they kind of buttoned it up when the gold price was quite low right there at the end of the 1990s, early 2000s. But it was, uh, you know, a high-quality project that, that needed to, to you know, be rein, reinvigorated with exploration. Uh, the company started working, Lion One started working on the property, I believe, around 2010 or 11. Uh-huh. They started drilling. And uh, they came up with a, a revised resource, an upgraded resource, I think sometime around 2015 or 16, if I remember right. And at that time, uh, I think the cutoff using around a three gram cutoff, if I remember right, was a, a bit over 800,000 ounces. And the average grade of the resource was on the order of around eight or nine grams, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, included, indicated, and inferred, a lot of inferred, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and, and look, the company um, did look at building a, a mine around that, but uh, w- there was a kind of a, a certain need for critical mass, I guess is the way, best way to put it. Uh, look, I, I started helping Lion One in 2019 because I really like alkaline gold systems. They tend to be very subtle systems. You have to be a bit patient, but also uh, you know use some pretty uh, specific techniques to, to, to try to target high-grade structures within these in in these types of deposits. So, uh, Wally being you know game keen on game for testing you know new ideas uh, allowed me to come in and we did some basic work, CSAMT, which is a geophysical technique. We did some geochemis- geochemical work in terms of stream sediment sampling, and we showed that this system is a much bigger system, uh, you know, both laterally, like across the caldera complex, mm-hmm. but also depth underneath the existing resource. So uh, last year, uh, in spite of COVID, uh, the company, they got a new rig in, they got a new deep, deep capacity rig, they drilled a hole, which was numbered 500, we call it the 500 zone now, uh, and drilled a hole underneath the existing resource and hit a whopping, you know, 12.7 meters, I believe, of 56 grams or something like this. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's a phenomenal uh, intercept, but importantly, that extended the, the deposit for another, say, 200 meters below what was known prior to that. So that was a huge win, and and you know in doing so, and now following up with that work, and drilling multiple holes under this area, we can see that there's an extensive high-grade feeders system, maybe even multiple structures, uh, at depth under the Tuvati resource. Well, what does that mean? It means that this deposit now, you know, has more of that critical mass that I think is needed to make it a mine. Okay, now the company is. Uh, has made movement here recently around taking it in that direction. So uh, they brought on uh, Patrick Hickey as their COO, the chief operating officer. Uh, he is currently working on budgeting uh, the development of a modest scale mine. And I believe they'll they'll talk about that soon, about uh, where they're going to head with that, that part of the story. But in the meantime, they've also hired uh, Sergio Catalani, who's their exploration vice president, uh, Sergio's expertise is in um, drilling advanced stage projects in preparation for mining. And in this case, the results today uh, are infill holes. They're basically holes drilled in areas that the company deems uh, to be, you know, likely near-term uh, source of ore for for a mine going forward. Mm-hmm. So that they're basically drilling to 
make sure that they know it, it understand completely where the loads are and how they're going to go mine this thing. And the results are phenomenal. I mean, these are just uh, <clears throat> remarkable. You know, 21 grams over seven and a half meters and, you know, 20, 21 grams over two and a half meters, 33.5 grams over 2.4. I mean, it, it's just an astounding yeah. deposit. It keeps yielding just remarkable results like this. Yeah, and um, uh, and as you say, um, I guess what they're doing now is is – is firming up enough or that they can start to think about producing. And I saw something uh, on their presentation of 300 to 500 tons per day. Average uh, grades they're anticipating between 8 and 10 grams per ton. Uh, I, over what sort of mining widths do you envision? Yeah, look, uh, the true widths of these loads uh, ranges from maybe a little less than a meter up to two or three meters. And mm -hmm. I would say the average width is on the order of a meter and a half-ish. Uh, and just to be really clear, these aren't epithermal veins. Like they're not just a big, wide, manded uh -huh. vein seeing a lot of hot spring deposits. These are actually uh, the loads are comprised of networks of, of fractures, very small fractures that kind of they kind of you know crisscross each other, um, <clears throat> kind of like a meandering river or something, mm -hmm. braided yeah. river, I should say. Uh, so when you're underground, what you're looking at is usually like a, a fracture network, a density of fractures that hosts right. very high mm -hmm. grade. But uh, you know, if if they mine this thing over a meter and a half, that would be uh, sufficient to maintain these, you know, very a very high grade gold mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very very strong um, strong results, and I believe they're they're doing some drilling from underground, I think, as well. And they're so you've got depth potential here. How deep can these alkaline systems go, Quentin? And do they tend to get richer at depth sometimes? Uh, they do. If you look at the uh, the weighted average grades that we're seeing from the 500 zone, the thing at depth, you know, we're looking at 23 grams with the oh, current yeah. intercepts. Uh, <clears throat> and also wider, too. I think it's uh, average width of about 2.75 meters. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so yes, there is an expectation that the grades in, increase at depth, but you've already got high graded surface here, or not? I shouldn't say at surface, but like you know, in shallow environment, you've got high grade too. And this is this would be the first place you go mining. So uh, it's it's a story that uh, is good and will get better. <laughs> and you mentioned lateral uh, along the caldera. I think you're looking at what is it, something like seven kilometers or something, or maybe it's more than that. Uh, along the kilometer, along the uh, caldera, they've done a lot of surface work, or some surface work at least, that gives you a hint of potential laterally as well, right, from surface. Uh, that's right, yes. Uh, the blake sampling, the stream sediments that were collected demonstrate that the gold system is much more extensive. Uh, there are quite a few rock chip samples, uh, especially lately here, that have been collected by the team that show there's additional loads along strike both to the northeast and to the southwest. And, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, these alkaline systems are subtle. you got to be patient with them, but they tend to deliver over the long haul. So I think as the company expands from here, uh, we'll see a, a, you know, a deposit much like the Vaticola deposit, which is about 30 kilometers to the northeast. Uh, it'll evolve. You know, when Vaticola was first found, this is going way back. Uh, Western Mining actually mined it. And, um, you know, at the time when they started, they started a modest scale mine. They didn't know mm -hmm. how, how many ounces were there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fast forward about 85 or 90 years since it was first operated, 
it's produced uh, a bit over 7 million ounces and it still has resources and reserves of, I believe, on the order of 4 million ounces. So, you know, these systems, they just, they can grow and grow and grow. As you pointed out in the past, uh, these tend to be mines that end up in the hands of major mining companies. And as I was just saying in my introduction today, the big guys are doing very well now. The big mining companies are doing, gold and silver mining companies are doing very well, but they're going to need some resources. Certainly would seem as if this would be one of those that they might have in, in mind sometime down the road. Of course, it's still early days, but uh, these alkaline systems, as you pointed out, they can be very large, very large. And so, as you just pointed out, the 7 million ounce uh, uh, mine that you just talked about. So, uh, I'm just wondering, uh, going forward here, Quentin, with just about a minute left, what do we, what share price drivers should people be watching for? I guess there'll be more drill results coming out, or are yeah, the, look, the current, they, yeah. they've got uh, th- this news release. I think they're up to about seventy percent of the proposed yeah. infill drilling at this point. So there's going to have there's going to be more news around the infill holes, just like they've had over mm-hmm. the past few months. But they also have some more drilling down from the five hundred zone, so I would expect mm-hmm. some news out around that. Uh, but also, I, I think the development plans are going to be announced uh, in the not too distant future. So, oh, that should be exciting. Yep, exactly. It's that should be exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Quentin. We'll have to leave it go at that. Uh, folks, don't go away though, because coming right back will be Adam Taggart after the uh, after the commercial break of Wealthion. He's here to talk about the need to shift investment perspective towards income producing. Uh, stocks, income-producing opportunities, Uh, the idea of uh, the get-rich-quick stories, uh, well, maybe we're going to need to go somewhere else Uh, in an environment where you can't get any kind of return on a safe investment. So we're looking for safe stocks that we can buy that are going to provide good, strong dividends in the future, and uh, Adam will have some ideas about that, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Adam Taggart. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Adam Taggart with me today. 
had uh, spoken to Adam in the past uh, when he was with Peak Prosperity, but now he's uh, started something new that I've found to be very, very helpful to me as an investor, and that's why I'm really happy to have him on with me. It's uh, Wealthion is the name of his organization, and he provides interviews with some of the sharpest people in uh, on Wall Street uh, to help investors know how to navigate the troubling waters, the difficulties that we have ahead of us. Very, very helpful. Adam has understood that um, our educational system doesn't do a real great job of educating people about how to invest in the markets and so forth. And that's what he is attempting to do and doing very well, I might add, with Wealth Young. The YouTube videos are a must-watch if you are serious about investing. Uh, Adam's background is an investment banker. He worked on in Silicon Valley uh, before that company was taken over. He also achieved a top marketing spot of vice president of marketing for Yahoo, uh, for all of North America, in fact. And as I said, now he's really helping people understand the markets and how to how to invest in some very, I say, I would say, some very um, challenging markets. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, gosh, it's my pleasure, Jay. Um, it's a real honor to be on this program, uh, having been watching and a big fan of yours for many, many years. So it's a big milestone for me. Well, I think I'm a bigger fan of yours now. And uh, <laughs> I'm just so grateful that you could spare a few minutes because I know you're very, very busy. And I look forward every week to seeing your, your new videos uh, coming out. So, you know, you like to start out by asking your, um, you like to ask your guests, what is your current assessment of the of the markets and, and the global economy? Uh, I think maybe I would like to ask you that, but perhaps I just simply ask you uh, to comment on something you recently, you, a new video that you re- put out just recently on how the rules of investing are changing. Perhaps you could comment on that. Sure. Um, so uh, where to start here? So uh, the I think back to a book title that that David Stockman wrote coming out of uh, the great financial crisis. Right. Uh, it was called The Great Deformation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fantastic word for where we are right now. Um, we have an economy that is um, really kind of mired in slow growth. and um, But we have an entire system that's dependent upon kind of perpetual forever economic growth and ideally strong economic growth. So we have a, we have kind of an economy that is sort of shuddering and sputtering and, uh, and we have a financial market system uh, that in a, in a regular world would, would reflect that. Um, but it doesn't because uh, all the powers that are you know, currently in place are desperately trying to um, push the fantasy that, uh, that we do have this, perpetual strong economic growth engine um, when of course we we don't we have some really real uh, secular issues that that you know really should be dealt with and, and discussed openly um, but we're not doing that right now we, we have a lot of uh, central planner intervention in the markets to make things look an awful lot rosier than they are and that's been going on for a long time um, I'm sure most of the people watching this program are familiar with what the Fed and the other world central banks did coming out of the last Great Recession uh, in terms of uh, you know, the printing of money, uh, you know, all the different QE, the Fed's different QE programs, all the you know, strangely named uh, acronym programs, TARP, TALF, all that type of stuff. Um, and uh, then, of course, you know, that was going on for the better part of a decade 
uh, coming out of, of uh, you know, 2009, 2010. And then we had the, uh, the coronavirus, right, which uh, threw an entire monkey wrench in the spanner. And Jay, you know, if you and I had been sitting down, uh, you know, having a drink together in March of 2020, witnessing what was going on then, and somebody told us, hey, guys, don't worry. <laughs> a year later, the S&P is going to be more than double where it is right now. Um, and uh, the central banks will, would have printed, you know, tens of trillions of dollars. Of, uh, be, it would have been tens of trillions of dollars of both monetary and fiscal stimulus around the world. And, and everything would kind of still be working as normal. We would never, ever have believed it. Um, so, but that's just sort of a, a sign of the scale of the deformation that's going on right now to keep asset prices where they are and to keep this fiction and fantasy alive that all's well Everything is awesome. And as an investor, you should just be fully long these markets. And so the big question, you know, that this all raises is, well, how long can this continue for? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Th- things are being so distorted, so deformed to you, Stockman's world. Um, you know, you either have to believe that this time is different and they can do it forever. And as an investor, you just have to, uh, you know, Borrow from Doctor Strangelove. You just have to learn uh, to love the bubble, right? And and jump in whole hog. Um, or uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, okay, you know, if this does have an expiration date, um, what are the repercussions of that going to be? And how close are we? And what do I need to be doing now in advance to make sure that I don't become roadkill when this whole unsustainable system, um, you know, has its day of reckoning? So that's in large part why I launched wealthy on was there are a ton of people out there um, who understand at least elements of what we're talking about here, Jay. And they're just trying to figure out what to do. And it's a really hard, really complicated question. And again, it's not really being discussed openly in, you know, major network news, nightly news reports, things like that. You watch CNBC, you watch Fox Business, you read the Wall Street Journal. You're not really getting this story, right? So these people are trying hard to to educate themselves. And what I'm trying to do is just to bring in the experts around the world that see at least, you know, their own section of pieces of this puzzle so that, you know, the educated and the self-educating investor can collect those pieces together, hopefully get the broad view and then take uh, relevant steps coming off of that. Um, the, uh, but then there's a whole bunch of other people that don't even know this is going on. Right. Oh, so that's, sure. yeah. that's again, yeah, but part of what Wealthion is there for is to help the average person, you know, maybe become aware of this exactly. and at least begin to ask the question, wow, should I just be fully long this market the way that I've been for the past 10, 20, 30 years and continue to place my faith in it? And you know what? If, if your answer to that question at the end of the day is, yes, I'm going to continue doing that, I'm totally fine with that, as long as you're making that an educated decision. Um, but just sort of, you know, hook, line and sinker buying into the fantasy that's that's continued uh, to being sold to us. I think it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, so it's a long winded answer to your question. But basically what I'm trying to do is help people understand the new rules of the game in this era of great deformation. Right. Uh, well, you certainly have had some balance on your show as well. I think you had a uh, a recent interview with a former colleague of yours uh, who is, she said that she's very, uh, she's very bullish on risk. Um, well, I think she probably echoes the mainstream more than, more than, uh, you know, what you're hearing. 
Uh, I know you tried to get some balance on your uh, in, uh, on your perspective so that people who are really bullish wouldn't be, you know, totally uh, upset with you. But uh, clearly, uh, you are pointing out, I think, what the educational system isn't pointing out. In fact, you know, our, we once were much more of a free market uh, economy. We, we really strayed away from that to a great extent. The Keynesians, I think, got us down the wrong path in my way of thinking, allowing money to be created, governments to spend, uh, allowing us to live beyond our means, thinking that we could never have to really worry too much. We were, we were the United States of America. We can always, you know, we, we're this powerful uh, country that can do whatever it wants. And we started creating money and printing money. But talk to us a little bit about how the rules of investing are changing now. I know I watched part of your short, relatively short interview that I would really, uh, actually, it wasn't an interview. It was I think you were just explaining how the rules of the uh, of the game are changing in the investment climate, and uh, I thought it was very good. But maybe you could just go into that to tell people, you know, how how the markets have been so screwed up by by the central bankers, um, and you know how people can ready themselves for what's going to take place or what we figure will take place, and also uh, how to actually perhaps profit from from what's uh, what's what lies ahead. I'll, I'll be happy to. Um, yeah. So in between the interviews, when I get a chance, I like to put out these little explainer videos to try to just condense some key points for folks. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second, but I, I want to sort of put my finger on an important point you, you mentioned there, Jay, which was, um, you know, we have lived beyond our means for way too long. And essentially what we've done here, both, um, both on the, uh, you know, the currency expansion side, which is sort of the blame I lay at the central banks, particularly the Fed, um, but also on the debt side, um, where we've, we've been profligate in the uh, tremendous amount of debt that the, the country has built up over the past decades. And that's been happening at an accelerating rate. When you do both of those things, you're basically pulling tomorrow's prosperity into today. Um, and so what, what I think is so important to understand, and I really think sort of so nefarious, to, for lack of a better word, about our current policies is um, they are stealing prosperity from future generations to fund today's profligacy. Um, but they're not funding that, that profligacy equally. Um, in fact, it is going increasingly into the pockets of a, a, a very few people, and they're the top few people. They're the people that own all the assets and the people that have all the power and influence in the system. Um, and uh, you know, so we end up with this great and accelerating wealth inequality. And that really, you know, concerns me for a whole bunch of reasons. It's incredibly you know, unjust, uh, but it's the kind of things that basically ruin societies and, it, and it's done so all throughout history. And so if you look at the trajectory that we're going on right now, if we do not change course and change course pretty radically, we basically have a, a, a predictable, inevitable date with a breaking point where the bottom majority of society basically they have no other option but to rise up and say look this system just isn't working for us anymore and that's when you get really concerning civil unrest i'm talking about sort of things like we saw during the arab spring uh you know a little over a decade ago you know when when, when sort of the average worker can't put enough food on the table can't keep their family warm in the winter, that type of stuff. They really have no other choice but to take to the streets. And, you know, we're not exactly there yet, but I think a lot of the social 
protests, demonstrations, and certainly the violence that's erupted a lot of them. I think the common factor underlying them, even if the actual protesters don't don't actively maybe perhaps even realize it, is it's sourced in that inequity and, and that inequity is growing. So I just want to make sure that that folks, you know, are really clear about that is that I think kind of the the, the access that all of this is is pivoting around. Um, in terms of how the the investing game has changed, um, uh, once you you know, th- th- there's a limit. W- once you pull, uh, you-, you keep pulling uh, prosperity from the future in- into the present, uh, you-, you begin to get to a point of diminishing returns where you've basically pulled all the prosperity in that you can. And that means that um, the sort of inexorable year after year after year of gains of hitting all-time high after all-time high after all-time high, which essentially, Jay, is what we've conditioned today's investors to expect. Yeah. Yeah. They expect, you know, that it's easy. You, know, you just go along the market and the market takes care of you. And if there's a blip, the central planners will stick it, uh, step in and they'll fix it for you. So, you know, if there's a dip, you better buy it, right? Um, that gets, that, that the, the ability to bring that future prosperity in gets uh, squeezed and squeezed out of the system until there are no more future gains to be had and you're left with a very unstable system. So uh, I had John Hussman on the program not too long ago, who is is probably one of the most um, famous and certainly most uh, learned uh, investors uh, of sort of navigating the bubbles that we've had to uh, live through in our lifetimes. So John both recognized the dot-com and the, uh, the 2008 housing bubbles. And uh, not only recognized them for what they were in advance, but positioned his fund and his investors in a place to take advantage of them. Um, and John is, is now saying we're looking at the you know biggest bubble basically ever, biggest biggest speculative asset price bubble in modern history is the one that that we're now currently dealing with. Um, he produces an awful lot of excellent charts and analysis on his website, um, Hussman.com. And uh, there's one chart that he has, uh, several charts, but one, one phenomenal chart is a historic scatter plot, basically showing um, the, ex- the, the 12-year expected returns based upon um, current market conditions. And what that chart now, that scatter plot is predicting right now is a negative 6% annual return for the next 12 years. Sure. So when I say that the investing game has changed, Really, the, what I want to say is the, what I'm trying to say is the era of gains is over. At least the era of easy gains for everything is coming to an end. And so the question an investor needs to ask themselves there is, okay, if, if appreciation is not going to drive wealth building going forward, what is? Uh-huh. And um, in that explainer video that I talked about, um, I, I, I really kind of refocus on what has driven uh, wealth building over time in the financial markets, which predominantly has been income. Dividends. It's been dividend income or it's been interest income on, on bonds. Um, and uh, from 1980 until 2019, I have a chart in that video that shows that 75% of the total return of the S&P 500 has come from stock dividends and not from price appreciation, even though there had been a prodigious amount of price appreciation. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that that um, you know really underscores um, how uh, kind of you know distorted and distracted we as investors have become. Because if you talk to any investor today, all they're trying to do is get the next 
you know, stock that's going to pop, the next meme stock, the next crypto that's going to go bananas, the next Tesla, the next Rivian, et cetera. Um, when really, you know, his, history says they should be looking instead at the yield uh, of the instruments that they're buying into. But going forward into this new future that I just outlined, when um, it looks increasingly like future gains are going to be harder and harder to come by, that investing for income becomes much more important. And then there's there's one last thing I'll mention, Jay, and then I'll, I'll let you get back to it get back to asking your next question, because I know I've been talking for a long time here, but is inflation. You know, inflation has really changed the game here. I mean, inflation was something that, that I and many others have been con- concerned about for the past 10 years, sure. based upon uh, of all the, uh, the policies of the central banks, you know, which have basically been sort of courting inflation with all of this currency printing that they've been doing. Um, but it really hasn't manifested in a, a very material way until this you know, massive amount of printing that they've done since uh, the coronavirus. And of course, everybody watching now uh, is familiar with what's happened this year in terms of uh, the cost of living. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's really beginning to become uh, not just a, a, a real household issue where people are realizing, wow, my dollars are going a lot, uh, going a lot less uh, far than they used to. But it's also becoming a, a big political issue as well. And the Fed is actually finally beginning to get, get some blowback about this. But make no mistake, the inflation genie is out of the bottle at this moment. And so there's another question you have to ask yourself, which is, okay, if, if the inflation monster is increasingly beginning to eat at my purchasing power, what can I do to stay ahead of that? And getting access to inflation adjusting income streams is a huge part of that equation. So just to put a bow on all this for the listeners here, um, if you want to get a sense of, of what I mean by the specifics of ways to invest for um, inflation adjusting income, you can go watch that video on Wealthion. Um, but at the end of the video, it's relatively short, as Jay said, I drive people to a free report where we basically walk through all the most common options for building inflation adjusting income streams, um, which I think this is just a good resource to use to either sit down with your financial advisor or give you some ideas on how you might want to begin to implement some of these in your portfolio. You can go get that uh, free report totally free at wealthion.com slash income. Um, and Jay, that's just a big thing of what we try to do here with Wealthion is when I can, I try to end an interview with a free resource that people can go and dive more deeply into the right. topic of the interview if they want to. Right. And it's very valuable and, and folks should really do that. So I guess you're looking at maybe something like tips. You'll, you know, people can go to get uh, exact ideas, but tips are, are good dividends that will keep up with inflation. Uh, some sort of source of ongoing income, uh, you know, with inflation rising, then I guess the dynamics behind what you're saying, the driver is with, with rising inflation, you almost have to see interest rates going up. Eventually, the Fed will try to fight it, no doubt, as long as it can. It will try to, I don't know, try to do whatever it can to keep the, uh, the appearance, at least, of interest rates from rising. But the cost of capital is going up. And I think this is maybe a key to what you're talking about in terms of a switch from what I would say is growth to value. Is that what we're talking about? So we're going to have to start to look at, uh, as investment analysts, we're going to have to start to look at companies that are really generating free cash flow. The companies that have the fundamentals to survive uh, a rising interest environment, perhaps. Am I on the right track there? You're exactly on the right track. Yep. So I think it's a switch from sort of high flying growth 
to right now what I would call deep value companies. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a number of charts out there. I was just interviewing the guys from Crescent Capital, who yes. are wonderful chart producers, and they've got a great chart basically showing the historical cycles between uh, growth and value. And we are at an apex right now where uh, the pendulum is weighted all towards the high-flying growth companies. Um, I expect very much, and even just looking at the chart, it looks like we've sort of just passed peak, right? So I expect a, a swing back of the pendulum um, for all the reasons that we've, we've talked about here. I think the other thing I would add to it as well is um, from an investing standpoint, you're going to see capital begin to move, um, rotate is the, the term they use on Wall Street. I might actually say flee. Um, uh, you know, assets that basically can be inflated to infinity uh, mm -hmm. and instead try to find a home in, in assets that have intrinsic value that cannot be inflated away. Mm -hmm. um, and commodities are a great example of that, hard assets, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And uh, just going back to the Crescent guys, um, you know, they think the commodity complex um, is, is highly ripe for a very long secular bull market here for a whole variety of reasons. But uh, again, Crescent publishes a great chart uh, that shows the relative valuation of the commodity complex versus the S&P 500. And it is still at a nadir. Um, you know, it's risen a little bit with some of the increases in commodity costs uh, this year, but still very much uh, down in the trough. So that has a long way to go before it even gets to kind of a mid-range. Um, so I expect a big upcycle there as capital goes into those commodity plays. Um, and then within the commodity markets themselves, lots of great opportunities. But um, the sector that is least valued compared to the overall commodity complex itself is the precious metals sector. Right. And those companies are now very cash flow uh, healthy um, in a way they haven't been for a long time. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity in the, uh, the precious metals mining space. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we haven't even talked about sort of the, the potential for the precious metals themselves to pop a lot here because they're the obvious defense against monetary inflation, right? So you could have, uh, you could really see some tremendous gains in that space for all the reasons we just talked about. Absolutely. And uh, if you look at gold itself in terms of the amount of money that's been created, I think the case can be made that it's selling as cheaply as it was in at $35 or so in the 1970s. And then again, in the early 2000s, I think I know the chart you're talking about, or uh, one similar to, well, uh, it's it's a, a chart that someone put out. I don't believe it was the Crescat guys, but it shows that essentially that gold, when measured in terms of the monetary dilution of the dollar, that it is selling as cheaply as now as it was in the early 2000s when it was at $250. So that's pretty incredible. And then you have, as you're saying, the Crescat guys, by the way, we've had them on this show. Uh, they do a wonderful job of providing that. And uh, people viewing this video and, and listening to this show should go to uh, to Wealthio, and then you can watch the uh, the uh, uh, the interviews that you did with uh, Tavi Costa and uh, and Kevin Smith. And I would strongly urge people to do that. The wonderful charts; they make a great case. And um, I should mention that uh, Quentin Henning, who is also on the show today, is their chief geologist, and he is, I think, probably the best exploration geologist in the world. One of the best, anyway. And he has a number of companies, a number of uh, projects uh, with these exploration companies that Crescat invests in that I think are going to be household name companies in the not too distant future. So I, I can't say enough good about Crescat and all they're done. I was so happy to see that you had interviewed those guys. 
at them because they're just they're just top notch. Um, I don't know uh, what else. We've, there's so much to talk to you about. I don't know where we could. I mean, you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Just one thing I'd love to to, to interject with because I'm I'm sure some viewers have been asking this in their head. Um, you know, I, I for all the reasons we discussed, I, I believe that in, investing for income, particularly inflation adjusting income, is going to become. Um, much more essential going forward. Um, I think it'll become the dominant way to invest over the next decade is, is, is my prediction. Um, but I think a good question for you know investor to ask today is, okay, great, but do I want to be buying into these companies right now with the system as unstable as it is? In other words, a lot of people, I think, who are skeptical of these markets, they fear a substantial market correction. And um, many of the people, the experts that I interview every week, I would say the preponderance of them expect some sort of material market correction within the next right. year or so. And I've seen estimates of anywhere from over 20% uh, to, you know, you get guys like David Hunter and they, they expect an 80% market correction, you know, which, which sounds pretty apocalyptical, but it is not unprecedented. Yep. Um, so, you know, w- one thing I just sort of want to underscore for why I think your show, Jay, is important and why I started my show is, we're all just working in the, the world of probabilities here, right? Nobody right. has the crystal ball. Um, we're all just trying to, you know, bring the, the best brain trust together we can uh, and try to get a sense for what everybody is thinking and to see, okay, you know, given the collective probabilities, what do we think is most likely to happen here? Um, so one thing I think you do have to be cognizant of right now is, you know, where valuations may go tomorrow versus where they are today. Right. Um, and so I'm not necessarily, you know, advocating that everybody rush out today and, and put their money into, you know, high dividend yielding stock um, because that dividend yielding stock might might be cut in half, you know, sure. uh, in six months or whatnot. Um, and so, uh, you know, I like to I used, I'm going to use that word. Well, I use the word nefarious again, which I brought up. Um, but I'll also say that these are the most treacherous markets, certainly in my you know, living experience for investors because of all the different cross currents that are out there right now um, and, and the instability. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more volatility going forward. And so um, where I'm going with all of this is um, I, I think you need to, you know, look at income, but you need to think of it as sort of like a marathon versus a sprint. You know, I'm not going to move just all my capital right now from these, you know, long these growth stocks to, to long these deep value stocks. I want to come up with a plan. And that plan probably should include, you know, keeping some money in reserve as dry powder right, uh, right. to be able to deploy later on. Right. Um, and for your long positions, um, at least your substantial ones, um, employing hedges. Right? And a lot of people don't really know what that means. Um, and, uh, or, or even if they kind of do, they don't have a lot of experience doing it. Um, and so I highly, highly recommend working under the guidance of a professional financial advisor sure. um, who is experienced using them and can kind of help you create that, that plan that we talked about and help you deploy it and help you intelligently use hedges where they make sense along the way. Um, I, I did do another video, one of these explainer ones um, on Wealthion called How to Hedge Against a Market Correction, where I kind of introduce and walk through the major tools that you can use as hedges. That video as well sends you to a, a free report. Uh, it's wealthion.com slash uh, how to hedge, I believe is the, uh, the uh, URL for that. And uh, I, 
again, I think that's a really good, you know, resource, print it out, read it, send it to your financial advisor and just say, hey, you know, should I be using some of these uh, tools here in my strategy going forward? Um, so, you know, just again, sort of trying to wrap this up. Um, with the, the the central planners have done here by you know distorting these markets, deforming asset prices, pushing them to all time record highs, while the fundamentals are kind of rotting away beneath them. Right. I, I liken it to like pushing people out, uh, you know, like a pirate ship plank, you know, with a, a sword point at their back, right? Where we're doing that to people, pushing them out along the risk curve, where they can't get, you know, if you're if you're trying to live on a fixed income. Or whatnot, you know, you or save up to buy a house or whatnot. You 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 can't get a living return. You can't get a, a return that's going to you know let you save up to buy a house uh, by being in traditionally safe investments, by being in a bank savings account or being in treasuries or whatnot. So um, people are getting forced further out into. Um, degrees of risk that they really don't have any business being in, but it's the only way in which they can get either the appreciation, you know, or, or they can get the return that they believe that they need. And that works fine right up until the point that it doesn't, <laughs> you know, when the system breaks, yeah. you have the, the most vulnerable people way out there on the risk curve where they have no business being and they get hurt the most. Right. Um, so uh, what I'm trying to underscore here for folks is, there are, there's a lot of uncertainty in this space. Um, I think you, you do have to, A, have skepticism that today's ever-increasing asset valuations aren't going to increase. Income is going to become more important, but you've got to kind of progressively, you know, work your way into that, that, uh, that new type of portfolio because you could position for it 100% today, but there might be developments that happen along the way that wipe right. you out before you're proven right. Right. Well, that's where I think you're, you're very helpful, Adam, uh, with Wealthion, and, and there's a, an abundance of resources that you're making available to people. I want to thank you very much for that and, and for taking the time uh, to, to share your insights with us. And, I mean, there were so many questions and so many people that you've interviewed. I had uh, ideas that, to talk to you about, uh, but we don't have the time. We're, we're out of time <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I want to thank you. So I guess people just go to wealthion.com is the best place to start connecting with you. Yeah, there's, there's sort of three places I would send folks that are interested in learning more. Um, if you want to watch the videos, I would go to youtube.com slash wealthion. Right. All the videos are there. And that's wealth, I-O-N. So youtube.com slash wealthion is where you can go to watch all the videos. If you want to talk to a financial advisor who has a very similar mindset to the issues that, and risks that Jay and I have been talking about here, it's amazing um, how many people are frustrated because they can't talk about these issues with their current you know, brokers Absolutely. who just sort of have the standard mindset, right? Absolutely. So we have, we've created partnerships. It's taken us a long time, uh, but we've created partnerships with uh, a few firms, a few independent financial firms uh, that share the same exact same concerns we do. They build portfolios um, you know, in mind for the things that I've been mentioning here. So if you want to have just a free consultation with them, there's no obligation to work with them. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, they just do this as a pure public service because they want to help people like you get better positions so that you don't become roadkill if indeed some of these things that we're talking about happen. Uh, just go to wealthion.com. There's a little form uh, you can fill out there. It takes like 10 seconds to fill it out and you can have a half hour conversation with these guys. Like I said, it doesn't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with them. Uh, it's just pure education. So that's resource number two. Resource number three is if you want to get sort of 
my commentary uh, throughout the day, as well as my summarization mm-hmm. of the experts that I talk to every week, just follow me on Twitter, and that's at Menlo Bear. Absolutely, and I certainly do that. And uh, again, thank you so much for being with us, Adam. It's uh, delightful to have you. Um, I hope we can do it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Whenever you watch, it's a pleasure to talk to a fellow um, uh, you know, sort of uh, connector in this space where I don't think I've really got any you know, special lock on what's going to happen in the future. My job is just to connect viewers with the brain trust of experts out there. And uh, you're a guy who I've, uh, I've, I've been trying to emulate. So thank you for setting the bar high. Well, you may not have a lock, but, uh, but uh, you certainly have a lot of people. I, I think combining everybody that you're interviewing, I think you're providing a tremendous service for people. It's just, I'm very thankful to you. So we'll have to leave it go at that, Adam, but uh, again, sometime soon, I hope. Um, folks, that is it for uh, today. Next week, uh, my guest will be John Rubino of Dollar Collapse, and uh, Patrick Highsmith will be with us to talk about Firefox Gold and uh, all they're doing uh, with their exploration projects. So we'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.